Hi, my name is Colin Cook, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. I love that song, and I just, I think it's perfect because it really opens us up and sets the tone for today's story. And what I love about the story we're going to discuss today and what I love about this series is that it's for everyone. Whether you follow Jesus or not, this series is for you. And so what we're going to do is, is if just to kind of catch us all up, if this is your first Sunday or if you have, um, or this, you missed last week's gathering, what we're doing is we're simply reading through Luke 15 outside of our gatherings, and then we're coming together to discuss them um, all together. And you may, you may think, okay, well, how does this work? Like, like, why would I do this if I don't yet follow Jesus? Why would I leave this time on Sunday and open up his word if I don't yet follow him? And so we're going to dive straight into Luke 15, if you have your Bible or Bible app, because Jesus actually, there's an introduction to the story and actually answers that question. It lets you know, if you're here and you don't follow Jesus, you're wondering, why in the world would I open myself up and read the word? I think you want to hear this introduction. In verse 1, it says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, pause there. If you don't know who those are, just think about the people that you hate the most. (laughs) Think about the people that you really don't like and that nobody likes, and that's them. They are despised. What's interesting is these hated people are doing what? They're drawing near to hear Jesus. They're spending time with Jesus. They're hanging on his every word. And then look at verse 2. It says, and the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the religious leaders, they're complaining, they're grumbling. And why are they grumbling? They're saying, this man receives sinners. That means that he welcomes these despised people, he has good thoughts towards them, and then it gets worse because he also eats with them, which implies a relationship. So if you're here and you're like, why would I read his word if I don't follow him? Know that in these two verses, we see that people who didn't follow Jesus were leaning into his words, and he was leaning into their lives. So that's why the invitation is for all of us. The invitation is that we spend some time outside this gathering space, and we actually let Jesus refine us. That word means to purify or make us more precise through his word, whether we follow him or not. Because nobody may have told you this, but know that even if you don't follow him yet, Jesus is leaning into your life and he'd love to just spend some time with you. And that's why all of us, whether we follow Jesus or not, can say, here's my heart. Would you just speak what is true? You may even say, I don't even know if there's anything true, but if there is Jesus, would you just show me? And so that's why I love this series. The invitation truly is for all of us. So just to give us some context to where we're going moving forward, the next slide is going to let us know based on our reading plan. So last week we discussed verses 1 through 7. Today we're going to be discussing verses 11 through 32. And then next Sunday, verses 8 through 10. So we invite you, join along with us. If you're behind, cool. If you don't catch up, cool. Just start wherever you're at. And we invite all of us just to spend some time in his word. And just to let you know, we actually have a lot of people who are getting in on this. This next picture clues us in. So this is actually uh, Phil, who is the newest member of Katie and Austin Morris's family. Um, he's their new cap, and he's actually reading Luke 15. So I'm just saying, Phil's in the word or you? I mean, that's a simple question. I think he's really setting the tone for us and setting the standard. So, I mean, he's one week in this family, and he's like, look, I'm getting in on this refining word thing I'm reading, so maybe we can join the cat and read. Now, (coughs) what we're going to discuss today 
is a story Jesus tells. And I really think it has the potential to be a paradigm shifter for us. Here's what I mean by by a story that's a paradigm shifter. A story that actually creates a fundamental change in our assumptions. A fundamental change in our approach to people. See, some of us have underlying assumptions that we don't even realize about people. Some of us approach people in certain ways, and we don't even realize we're doing it. So what we want to do is invite Jesus to refine how we approach people. So we're going to start in Luke 15, 11, but before we do, just one thing about this story. Some of you guys have heard this story over and over. You may actually be able to quote parts of the story. So it'd be easy for you to be like, well, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I'm just going to act like I'm going to the bathroom and slip out and beat the crowds to lunch. Look, do that if you want to. But I really invite all of us to try to approach this as if it was our first time hearing the story. We want to become Jesus's audience. We want to read these words as if we were literally hearing him speak them. Because if we will take that approach, then he's going to change how we approach people. And if you are here and you've never heard this story, I'm a little bit jealous of you. Because you've got the perspective that I'm trying to get. So for those of us who have heard it or who haven't heard it, here's two questions that I think can help us approach it with a freshness. The two questions we want to ask throughout the story are, number one, who am I in this story? As we read these today, we want to ask the question, who am I in this story? And then we also want to ask the simple question of who are we? That's public church in the story. So we're reading, we're reflecting. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? We're also thinking about this. Who are we as a collective? And I'm so serious about that second question that if you're a guest or if you don't follow Jesus, I want to invite you to personally email me and let me know your thoughts on that. Because if you will tell us your perception of us as a church based on this story, like what you think, who you think we are in the story, that will refine us. That will make us better. So write down my email, todd at publicchurch.com, and send me your answer to that question. We'd love for you guys to do that. So let's look at the story. We'll begin in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now we read this and view it as disrespectful, but Jesus's audience would have been appalled by this. First off, the phrase the share of property, here's what that means. That means estate, okay? And we're talking about a estate, and estate is what supports the life of the entire family. So with this request, the son initiates a breakdown of the family unit. And he's saying, "Look, We are all supposed to live on this for several years. Well, I'm going to take half of it, and y'all can figure out how to survive on the other half. In other words, he's probably putting his family in a financial bind, but he doesn't care because he's entitled. How many of you like entitled people? I didn't think so. He is an entitled brat. Can we say that? Yeah, he's an entitled brat. Why do we know that? Because that is coming to me. That is a phrase that means, hey, look, at some point, Dad, I'm getting that. So why not get it now? It's mine anyway, I get it, so I want what's mine right now. Who cares the ramifications for you guys? Who cares if it puts you in a bind? I want mine. Anybody want to hang out with this guy? I didn't think so. Neither did Jesus' audience. They are offended by him. They're appalled by him. They're frustrated with him. And brilliantly, Jesus is actually going to build their frustration as he tells the story. Look with the next verse. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, Here's what that means. He took the estate and turned it into cash. So all his dad had given him, he cashed it out, and then he took a journey into a far 
country. Now, we read that, and we're like, okay, who cares? He moves off. Look, the, the, Jesus' original audience would have been mostly Jews, and Jews were very ethnocentric. Here's what that, that means. They thought that they were the stuff, and everybody else in the world was just second-class citizens. We as Americans can't relate to that at all, can we? I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, the fact that he would move away to a foreign country, leave Israel, they literally thought Israel was God's country, like leave the country of God, who would do that? So now they're more offended at this guy, and then it says he squandered, that just means wasted his property and reckless. That means wild and excessive living. The, the mental picture for us in 2018 is someone who's just going to clubs, spending lots of money every night on alcohol, drugs. We're going to see later prostitutes. I mean, just totally living this wild and excessive life. And what Jesus has done, again, he's brilliant, is he's gradually offended his audience. First, by the fact that the kid asked for his inheritance in an entitled way. Second, by the fact that he turned that inheritance into cash. Third, that he moved off to a distant land. And fourth, that he squandered his cash on immoral living. They are just totally snarling up their noses, repulsed by this guy. They're probably saying things like this. Can you believe him? Can you believe somebody would do this? I hope that he gets what's coming. I hope that the story ends with him just getting it because it's coming towards him. And so with that in mind, Jesus continues the story. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He spent everything, and the economy tanked. Isn't that how it always works? Like you think, I'm just going to go into a little bit more debt. I know I can't really afford that, but I'll just put that on the credit card. I mean, the economy's good. I'll just do that. And then what happens? The economy tanks every time, doesn't it? But before we feel empathy, Let's think about the original audience. At this point, they're beginning to smile because they're like, <laughs> he's beginning to get his. They probably think, ha-ha, God is beginning to judge him. And look at verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now they're even more repulsed by him because not only has he moved to a foreign country, he's attached himself. He's working for this foreigner. And then the Jews have very strict laws about what is clean and what is unclean, what you can touch, what you can't touch, what you can eat and what you can't eat. And it's very clear that Jews do not like pigs. Pigs are unclean. So he's working for this foreigner and he's dealing with pigs. This guy is just, I mean, he's really like just disgusting at this point. And the nature of his work pushes him farther and farther away from his father. And then in verse 16, it says, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Don't feel sorry for him. The original audience would have been even more turned off. Oh, he's working with pigs and he wants to eat pig slop? This is like the worst of the worst. But then somebody in the audience may have actually clapped with the phrase in bold. No one gave him anything? Yes, that's right. Let him suffer. He deserves it. He's made his bed. Let him lay in it. Jesus, I'll finish the story and I'm going to make his life terrible. I hope he starves to death. I'm going to make bad things happen before he starves to death. I'll finish the story, Jesus. But Jesus continues in verse 17. He says this, but when he came to himself, that's a common idiom or phrase that means come to his senses. This is a shift in the story. It's the first time that he has a logical 
or rational thought. Parents, do you remember the first time your teenager had a logical or rational thought? They're probably about 25, really. You know, but um, that time comes for all of us when we actually have a logical or rational thought. And he has one, and, and here's his thought. He asked a question. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He's like, the guys that work for my dad have it better than I do. And here I am starving to death. Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. That word heaven means God. I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. See, as he comes to his senses, he begins to own his sin. And notice two things about the way he owns his sin. Number one, he doesn't make any excuses. No excuses. It's nobody's fault but his. And the second thing is that he surrenders. This is the first time that surrender has entered the story. You're like, well, what, what's he surrendering? He's surrendering his way. Up until this point, he's been entitled. I want my part of the estate. I want to move where I want to live. I want to do my thing. He spent whatever he wanted, done whatever he wanted, with whomever he wanted. It's all been about him and his way and his desires. And for the first time, he goes, it's not working. And even when he's broke, he was like, I can dig myself out of this. I'll go work for this dude. I'll, I mean, his pigs are disgusting, but, but I'll, 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 the economy's going to bounce back, and I'll bounce back. And, and all the while, he's just working and doing his thing, and now he's finally like, my thing's not working. My thing's broke, and I need to surrender my way and return to my father's way. And so for the first time, he begins to surrender. And so, the thing about the audience, though, is they're not going, good job, progress. They're going, he's not sincere. He's just trying to suck up to his father because he's ruined his life. He's got nowhere else to turn. His motives are insincere. So they're still critical of him. And the first line in verse 20 simply says this, and he arose and came to his father. Turning point in the story. He arose and came to his father. Before we continue reading, we need to ask this question. What do you want to happen? Again, for those of you who've never heard the story, you have a big advantage on us because you may not know. But if you have read this story before, try to act like you haven't and think, okay, what do I want to happen at this point? We know what the audience wants to happen. At least there's really two groups in the audience. The loudest group, the group we've been focusing on, they are the religious leaders. And here's what they want to happen. Consequences. Lots of them. Pile it on. Maybe even a beating. Like this kid deserves a little bit of beating from his dad. They want ceremonial cleansing. I mean, he's been with foreigners and pigs. He can't just waltz into his father's presence without first going through an arduous process of being cleansed. And they want time spent where he's a servant and he's going to work his way back in the family. And they're hoping that he'll never work his way back in the family. And they also want a lecture that most of us in the room have gotten where our parents, our grandparents, somebody sits us down and goes, you're stupid. Just say it. I mean, really, what do you think was going to happen? So you explain it to me. You tell me what you're thinking, because clearly your brain wasn't working. You know, we've gotten that talk. And now you, you understand that everything you see belongs to your brother. Like, you get none of this. Dumb. That's the kind of lecture that they wanted him to get. But there's another quieter group in the audience. The tax collectors and the sinners. The people who were already despised. The people who were thinking... Hey, this whole ethnocentricity thing, Jews are the best thing, I'm not really buying into that because I've seen what it's like to be on the outside and I'm not really sure if anybody should be on the outside. 
And you know what they're rooting for in this story? They want the Father to offer mercy, grace, and a warm embrace. So what do you want? What do I want? At this point, we, we can be tempted to just say what we think is the right answer. We've got to be authentic. We gotta be honest, because if we're honest, then we're gonna open ourselves up for Jesus to do some work on our underlying assumptions, on our approach to people. The problem is, we may not wanna hear what Jesus is gonna say, (laughs) but let's be honest anyway. Let's be courageous and be vulnerable and just open ourselves up and say, okay, Jesus, here's what I really want. I know what the religious leaders want. I know what the sinners want. Here's what I want, so let's see who gets what they want. Look with me at the, as we finish the verse. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The idea of saw him is that he is far off. And because he's far off, we know the father was definitely looking for his son. So the father's looking for his son. He sees him and then he feels compassion. He doesn't just feel compassion. He acts on his compassion. He takes off running. There's no more waiting. No more uh, just looking and counting down the days. When he's gonna come back. There's none of a, hey, you start there and you come a little bit farther and I'll go to you. Or, hey, I wanna make sure that you're really coming and that you're really leaving behind that old lifestyle before I run to you. No, he just takes off in a sprint. He's running towards him. And then, remember, he is unclean. He's disgusting. He's got pig germs all over him. He needs to be cleansed, but the father just grabs him. The image I have in my head is for a father just having his four-year-old son or four-year-old daughter come home and and she's just running to him. He's running to him and she just grabs him up in the air and twirls him around. That's the image. As the father embraces him, that means that he puts his head on his neck and he kisses him with his pig germs and all. And the audience is just appalled. What? You, You did this to this disgusting, worthless son of yours and the audience is looking at the father and saying now you're unclean because you didn't just touch him you full hugged embraced kissed him oh my goodness but the father the father gives exactly what the tax collectors and sinners want he gives mercy grace and a warm embrace so did you get what you wanted did i get what i wanted more on that in just a moment because the son has a speech prepared so the son says this Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So the father, or excuse me, the son has this speech. And he says the line that he prepared, but not the full line. More on that a little bit later. And interestingly, the father totally ignores his line. The father doesn't say anything about his line because the father has other things on his mind. Here's how the father responds. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Can you imagine what this guy looked like? I mean, he's been hanging out with pigs. And he didn't Uber home. Guy walked home. I mean, he's sweaty. He's nasty. He's disgusting. He's got pig slop all over him. The father just hugged him. And now the father's like, all right, you do need a shower, though, son. And let's put some son-like clothes on you. Not servant-like clothes, son-like clothes. And then it says he put a ring on his hand that signifies a full restoration of his relationship to his father. And then he put shoes on his feet. And then probably my favorite line in this whole story, he says, and bring the fattened calf. Anybody excited about that? Anybody wish they were there for that? Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Here's what we know about killing the fattened calf. It's going to be a long party. Because that takes hours to get this calf to go from moo to steak on the grill. 
I'm just going to take a long time. If you don't believe me, ask Blake Gideon and his wife, Jan. Blake cooked our barbecue for summer nights last week. Anybody at summer nights and eat some of that barbecue? Mmm, yes. That'll make you raise your hands in worship. I mean, it was so good. It was unbelievable. And so Sunday morning, Blake sent me a text, and it was like the barbecue was cooking. You know what time he started cooking it? 4 a.m. And he'd done prep work before then. So 4 a.m. to get it ready for summer nights at 6.30. And he was just dealing with a pig. They don't like pigs, so they're going with the bigger beast, a cow. And, they not, and he was just starting with it. It was already dead. They got to go from moo to steak. This is going to take some time. In other words, they're having a pretty big and pretty long party. The plans for the whole day changed. Why would they change plans for the whole day? Because look at verse 24. The father says, for this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was, what's that word? And is, let's try that one more time. He was and is found. And they began to celebrate. Look, we're talking about death to life. The son was considered dead to the family. Cut off, no longer with him. But now he's alive to the family again. And then this phrase, lost and found. The theme of Luke 15. The theme of our series it occurs multiple times in each of, uh, throughout Luke 15. It occurs multiple times in this story that we're talking about today because we have to understand that when he left home, the father considered his son lost, wandering, and aimless, but now his lost son has been found. And look, if you and I were to find what's valuable in that graphic, what would we find? $100 bill. That graphic's awesome. I love the imagery. That we would find the $100 bill. And we need to understand, the father didn't find a $100 bill in a pile of rubbish. The father found his son in a pile of rubbish. And yes, the son made the pile of rubbish by his own decisions, but the father wasn't worried about that. The father was focused on the fact his son was once lost, and now he's found. So let's kill the fattened calf, let's cue the DJ, and let's celebrate. And I think we would do the same if it was our son. But not everybody. Not everybody's in the mood to party. We continue the story, verse 25. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. The phrase in the field, you know what that means? Working his butt off, just like he did before the younger brother left, and while the younger brother was gone, and now the younger brother's back. The older son has spent his whole life working his tail off every single day in the field, faithful for the father, and he's rolling in from work. And he hears music and dancing. And he wants to know, okay, well, what's going on? He called one of the servants. And he asked them what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. This isn't the first time we've heard that word received. In the introduction we read to the story, Jesus is criticized because he's receiving sinners and tax collectors. Well, now the father's about to be criticized because he's receiving, he's welcoming, he's having good thoughts towards his son who had left home and now has returned. And look with me at verse 28. But he was angry. He is enraged, he's irate, and refused to go in. I think he made a scene. I think he let everybody at the party know that he was not happy and that he was not coming in. And then it says, his father came out and entreated him. He begged him, but he answered his father. Now look at his reply. He says, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. 
Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's saying, Dad, every day I busted my tail on your land. You didn't even give me a goat. I don't have to have a big fattened calf. I just want a goat for crying out loud. You didn't give me anything. And here I am, day after day after day, no chance to celebrate with my friends. And he continues on and he says, but when this son of yours, not my brother, I'm not calling him my brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property, that means squandered, he's wasted your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. You know, we may have been general early in this story, but this older brother is very specific here. He's trying to paint his younger brother in the worst possible light. And what he's really wanting to do is make his father cringe. Remind the father just how bad his youngest son was so that way he'll cringe and he'll kind of tense up and maybe he won't celebrate and smile as much. But notice the father's response. And he said to him, son, the word's huge. Because the older brother didn't come to him and say, dad, father. He didn't have time for respect. He just ready to fire his complaints at him and just yell at his dad. But the father doesn't respond in like kind. The father still chooses to be affectionate and says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. He says, hey, look around. I think it's incredible the father doesn't cringe. He doesn't blink an eye. He simply affirms the status of the older son. He says, hey, come on, look at that field you've been working in for all these years. It's yours and that field. And that for all that I have, son, it's yours. And nothing's going to change that. And then he says in verse 32, it was fitting. It was right to celebrate and be glad. Here's why. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I think if we had the expanded version of this, the father would say something like, son, think about it. If you had a friend that almost died, if you had a friend that maybe got resuscitated, they thought that he or she was dead and somebody brought him back, wouldn't you be excited? Wouldn't you celebrate the fact that they'd gone from death to life? Son, if you had lost that $100 bill in the rubbish, wouldn't you be excited when you found your $100 bill? Said, son, we're talking about your brother. And we've got to celebrate that he was once dead, but now he's alive. He was once lost, but now he's found. So why don't you get in on the party? And I think the father would add, son, by the way, know this, heaven's partying with us. Because verse 7, if we go back to Luke 15, 7, and you don't have to take my word for it. I, I encourage you to read that sometime this week. Verse 7 says that when someone who is lost to God returns to him, God says, DJ, start the music, dancers get ready, and there is a party in heaven. So the father says, hey, we're just trying to get on all the party that's already going on in heaven. So why don't you join it? What a story. Man, at this point, I just want to stand up and go, wow. Jesus, you're amazing. I mean, he's brilliant. Have you ever been in a movie when that happens? It's pretty cool. It happened to me once. Like the movie ends and people are just like, stand up and give a standing ovation. I mean, because it was just that good. That's the kind of story Jesus told. And what we can do is we could just give him a standing ovation, pray, and go to lunch. And that would be good. But we would miss the fact that Jesus wants to speak some truth in our hearts and lives that, again, we may not want to hear. We'd miss the fact that we may have some underlying assumptions about people, that we may approach people 
in some ways that Jesus simply wants to refine. So let's just talk about a couple observations from this story so that way we can be refined by it. And so to do that, we need to go back to our two questions we asked at the beginning. Who am I in this story and who are we? Who am I in this story and who are we as a church? And this first observation, I think, can clarify our answers to those questions. Here's the first observation. The Father's welcome sets the tone for everything that follows. In this story, the Father's welcome sets the tone for everything that follows. Isn't it awesome we get to talk about this on Father's Day? Man, I just want to say that I really appreciate you. It's not easy to be a man in these days. And I know that for a lot of you guys, men and ladies, Father's Day isn't that great. Some of you may want to be a dad. Some of you may wish your dad was here. And so we want to celebrate all men today and try to bring a little joy to a day that can often be hard by actually giving something away. So men, if you're over 21 and you have your phone, I invite you to take it out. And I invite you to simply send a text to this phone uh, to the number that's going to be on the screen, and you will win a bowler blade. So we want to give this away. So go ahead and send those texts in now. We're going to give it to the 10th text. That way, if you're a little bit slow, you can still get it. Because I know you guys may not be that great at texting. Just text your name, by the way. That way I know who it is. Any men want this blade? Okay, there's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Aaron Bristol. Oh my goodness. You got number here, just catch it, okay, Aaron? It's okay. <laughs> Aaron, congratulations. You won yourself a bowler blade. Here we go with this nice t-shirt. Can we give it up for Aaron? He's an awesome dad. Dude, that's perfect. Britton, you don't have to get him anything next year. Just let that count. You're good. But Aaron is an awesome dad. Here's why we wanted to give that away. Just as a reminder that men, we can be game changers in people's lives. The father in this story is huge evidence for that. And ladies, if you imitate the father's actions, you can actually be game changers in people's lives too. See, the father's welcome sets the tone for everything that follows. Remember, the son had a speech prepared, didn't he? The son's speech was going to go something like this. I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy. Could you just let me be a servant? But the son never gets to that let me be a servant part. I think it's because when he was a long ways off, the father sprinted to him, ran, gave him a huge hug, kissed him, fully embraced him. And so it would have been disrespectful to his dad to go, hey, can I just be your servant after his dad had already shown that he was welcomed back into the family. See, the father's welcome sets the tone for everything that follows. And here's what we need to understand. This is absolutely huge. In the father's eyes, the return is more important than the speech. In the Father's eyes, the return is more important than the speech. It's not about what he has to say, but it might have been for us, mightn't it? I mean, who am I in the story? Who are we in the story? How would we have responded? We may have said to the son, <clears throat> all right, go, tell me your speech. See how well you do. You know, own it all. Hmm. Yeah, I think you left out something. Now, once you know, you're going to have to work for all that. You've been gone 367 days and five hours. You work double that, and we may talk about you just being a son again, you know. Come on. That's not what the father does, is it? The father 
cared more about the return than the speech because actions speak louder than words. And know that, that here's what the return said. The return said, I surrender. The return said, I am leaving behind doing things my way. And Father, I'm coming just to submit and surrender to your way. I just want to be in your house again. <laughs> I hope that fires you up. Especially if when you're looking at this story, that you view yourself as the younger son, this should fire you up. Because you may have been told that you needed to clean up to get to Jesus. You may have been given the message that you were too far gone for Jesus. But none of those negative messages you've been given matter. The Father's welcome silences them all. But you know what Jesus is in the story? Jesus is the Father in this story. And we need to understand that Jesus didn't just run towards us. He ran to the cross for us. Jesus didn't just run towards us. He ran to the cross for us. While we had wandered, while we were lost, Jesus wasn't just waiting. When are you coming home? No, he was on his way to earth. God in human form. You know what he did with life? He excelled at it. He was perfect in every way. Yet his innocence took our punishment willingly. He allowed himself to be beaten and murdered on the cross because we don't have to go through ritual cleansing. Jesus bled and died to take care of that. And not only that, he conquered death, letting us know that if he went from death to life, he can bring us from death to life. That he is seeking what is lost, and his Father in heaven and our Father in heaven, if we let him be, is ready to cue the DJ when we return. That is incredible news for us today. And the key for the younger son is that he came to his senses. So if you view yourself as a younger son in this story, what's it going to take for you to come to your senses? When he had lost everything he had and the economy tanked, that's when he became vulnerable. So what's your security blanket? And what's it going to take for you to become vulnerable? For you to say, I'm done with my way. And Jesus, I surrender and I want to do it your way. And if you get to that point in this gathering, if you get to that point throughout this week, just tell him. Because when you get to that point, your heart will have already turned. You would have returned in your heart. And so you can just express with your words that, Jesus, I can't be forgiven on my own. But you died on the cross. You rose again. Would you forgive me? Would you give me a relationship with you that I need so bad, but I could never, ever begin to deserve or to earn? And if you make that decision, here's what we ask. Would you please let us know? Because the moment you surrender to Jesus, there's a party going on in heaven, and we want to celebrate with them. <laughs> So please let us know that we, so we can celebrate with you. But what about the rest of us? You know, the series, uh, really the umbrella for this series and the next series is called The Refining Word. Lost and Found fits in this big idea of the refining word. So let's let Jesus refine us. If we're maybe looking at this and thinking, okay, I may be the father, I may be the older brother, and let's actually go and refine our questions. So instead of asking who do I want to be, let's ask this. Who does Jesus want me to be in this story? Not who are we as a public church, but who does Jesus want us to be in this story? And here's the reality. Jesus' long-term goal for all of us is to follow his pattern and become the father. 
So if you're here and you feel like you're the younger son, here's the long-term plan that Jesus has for you, that you would surrender to him and that he would begin a work in you and begin to change you so that one day you would then go share your story about how you were once lost and now you're found and someone else would go from being lost to found. And then suddenly, today the party's gonna be about you, but later on the party will be about other people that you've shared your story with and you would have gone from the younger son to the father. Isn't that a beautiful plan for our lives? And so for us, for us that may be thinking, ah, I think I'm the older brother, I think I'm the father, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to change us into the father. He wants us to follow his pattern. And we've got to understand that our response sets the tone for everything that follows. See, earlier we said the father's welcome, but now I'm saying our response because we may not be welcoming. Think about the response of the older brother. What kind of message did that send? It sent this message, you don't deserve to be back, I'm better than you, you're no longer my brother, your past disqualifies you, and that set the tone. And if we send that message, we set the tone as well. In fact, every time we act like the older brother, we are pushing people away from Jesus. And personally, I know I've been the older brother at times. So I'm asking myself, okay, why? Why have I been the older brother? And I really think it comes down to simply this, both consequences and rewards are often unseen, but always felt. Consequences and rewards are often unseen, but they're always felt. Here's what I mean by that. Tangible example for some of you guys. Some of you guys are single. Some of you guys have really worked hard at your purity. And through the power of Jesus in you, you're doing pretty good at it. When you've gotten to a point where you began to struggle with something, you got accountability, you reached out to someone, and you're sitting there as a single person wanting to be married, and you're like, look, I don't have any kind of addiction to pornography. I've never had sex. I mean, I, I don't really have that many mistakes. I mean, I'm really waiting for that person, and I've pursued purity. And then you look at this dude, this dude that it looks like he slept with the whole sorority. And now he suddenly surrenders to Jesus, and now he's engaged to the girl that was in your student ministry, who's the most beautiful thing ever created, who's never even kissed a boy. How does that guy get her? There's zero consequences for him. He should have faced the consequences and you're mad. I'm single, I wanna be married, I wanna get her, I deserve her. Why does he have her? Here's what we miss, the consequences are unseen. Look, for all sin, but especially for sexual sin, the consequences are heavy. They create chains in our lives that can only be broken by the power of Jesus. He's faced those. He probably is facing those. And what we also don't see is we don't see the reward. Maybe the reward we want is to be married. And Jesus is saying, I'm delaying that because I have something for you to do as a single person that you couldn't do as a married person. And it's beyond your imagination. So it comes down to trust. And then there's the whole aspect of heaven. The fact that when we get to heaven, your reward may actually be greater than his. But here's the truth. This isn't the time to measure trophies. This is the time to celebrate that he who was once lost is now found. So let's stop measuring trophies. Let's stop worrying about consequences that we may not be able to see. Let's stop worrying about rewards that we may not be able to see. And let's just celebrate that somebody who was once lost is now found. Heaven celebrating and we can get in on it too. So Jesus wants to change us from being the older brother to being like him. So how does he do that? I think it begins with us simply praying for people who don't yet follow Jesus. We talked about that last week. Just to challenge us again, to say, hey, are we praying for people who don't follow Jesus? And really, this should be something that we're trying to do daily. 
I think the other thing is we as a church, if we're talking about who are we as a public church, we need to help people see that you don't have to believe to belong. In fact, we want you to belong before you believe. We would love for you, if you're not following Jesus yet, to, to get in a community group. These are groups that meet all over Cleveland. There's one in Chattanooga. And they meet for the purpose of doing life together, of figuring out what it means to follow Jesus together. We'd love for you to begin serving. Because here's what we think will happen. That as you belong, you might eventually believe. That hopefully as you're connecting and as you're serving, that you're going to form relationships with people. And those people will be safe people that you can come to with your questions. And there will also be people that you can look at and go, I see Jesus. In fact, he or she is a welcomer. And when I show up to serve, when I show up to community group, they're not judging me. They're not the older brother. They are the father just hugging me and celebrating every single step I take towards Jesus. And I think that's the other thing. Are we celebrating every step that someone takes towards Jesus? Or when they roll into our gathering, we say, man, I'm so glad you came. But actually, if you would just clean this up, if you would stop that, if you would actually do this, here's the list of requirements. Look, there is one requirement. Surrender to Jesus because the cross and the resurrection, and that's it. So if we really believe Jesus changes everything, let's just get people to Jesus and let him do his thing. That's the invitation. That's what the Father does. So the question that I'm asking myself and invite all of us to ask is, what step do we need to take to be like the Father? What step do we need to take to become a welcomer just like Jesus is? And I want to encourage you to not just ask that question, but to write down your answer and actually text that answer to someone else. I did that as part of the 930 gathering to say, this is the step, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is leading me to take so I can go from being like the older brother to being a welcomer. And just keep this in mind. Whatever we are individually is what we'll be collectively. So if we become a bunch of welcomers and we begin to reflect the Father's heart in the story individually, that's who we'll be as a church. So public worship is gonna come on up. And I just invite you guys to take a few moments and reflect. Who are you in the story and who does Jesus want you to be? And what is one step that Jesus is leading all of us to take so we can become more like the Father? And again, if, if you're a guest, if you don't follow Jesus, email me. Let me know how you view our church. That will make us better. So let's reflect. And when you're ready, I just invite you to stand and sing. Jesus, wow. You are a brilliant storyteller. I mean, it's unbelievable. You're unrivaled in your storytelling. And I thank you that you don't just tell stories that move us or make us laugh or engage us emotionally, but that change us. Would you change us, Jesus? I pray for people that, that relate to the younger son, that they would see that your way is best and they would surrender. I pray that for those of us who have tendencies with the older brother, that you would strip those away and make us more like you. Help us to be people that give warm embraces and let you do your work. Jesus, we do believe that you change everything. So would you begin to change everything in us?